We've all experienced the paralyzing influence of fear. When fear takes hold, it can stop us from taking on new challenges, innovating, or even growing. But how can we conquer fear for good? In today's podcast, which is part of a series in partnership with Tomorrow Zone, Deb Rubin interviews Chris Cummins about strategies to overcome the fear factor in every aspect of our lives. Chris is a seven-time TEDx speaker, author, keynote speaker, and TV host of the upcoming Charged Up show. When he is not delivering transformational keynotes, Chris works with CEOs and leaders to improve their onstage effectiveness. As a leader of Cummins Media for 19 years, Chris has been the guiding force behind enhanced communication for business elite, including BMW, FedEx, Microsoft, Manual Life, Olympic Committee Leadership Team, Alamos Goldmines, BNY Mellon, and more. Learn more about Chris at chriscummins.com. And of course, most of you know Deb Rubin, who is founder and CEO of Tomorrow Zone, a consulting firm inspiring both futuristic thinking and action to innovate in equipment finance and beyond. Tomorrow Zone works with leaders and teams who want to leverage technology to drive innovation, enhance customer experience, and grow their businesses. If you want to quickly comprehend the current state of your processes and technology to reveal the big picture and reimagine for the future while uncovering non-obvious profit potential and open new growth options for your business, Tomorrow Zone can help. If you feel stuck in the status quo and need a fresh perspective, Tomorrow Zone can be a strategic thought partner to help you see around corners and create short-term wins with long-term scalability in mind. Learn more at tomorrowzone.io. But before Deb and Chris begin, I want to tell you about Monitor Suite, the content subscription service equipped for the equipment finance industry. Monitor Suite features high quality streaming series, including our new Equipment Finance Masters and the Mind series. This month, we are also rolling out new quick hit data pieces on a variety of topics designed to help you get ahead of the competition. Monitor Suite members have 24-7 access to our entire library of in-depth data reports dating back to 1992, early access to each digital edition of Monitor, videos, members-only live stream events, exclusive articles, and much more. For more information, visit monitordaily.com suite. Monitor Suite was a project that I started working on during my time in cohort two of Stripe's leadership program, which just happens to be today's podcast sponsor. Stripes is the leadership development program for the equipment finance industry. This 10-month program launches with a three-day intensive transformational program and also includes master talks and master workshops from notable industry and leadership experts, working cohort groups with other industry professionals, outcome-driven development sessions, and much more. Stripes has been a phenomenal experience for me, and I encourage you to learn more about the program by visiting stripesleadership.com. I'm so excited today to introduce you to Chris Cummins. In this podcast, we explore the human side of innovation and getting into the tomorrow zone is all about stretching your thinking about future possibilities to inform the decisions that you make and the actions that you take today. And when it comes to innovation, Curiosity and continuous learning are vital components. That's all about stretching your comfort zone. It's about experimentation. It's about learning forward. And Chris is someone who I have enjoyed spending time with off and on for the last several years. And I have seen him practicing that continually. He is always 
in the growth zone. So I wanted to just share his brilliant insights with you in this podcast episode. So Chris, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you, Deb. It's an honor. I just, I love hanging out with you and, and I enjoy this kind of conversation very much. Awesome. Me too. I think we're going to have fun today. So I wanted to just kind of dive in and let you just share some of the highlights of your journey and backstory where you began and how you ended up doing what it is that you do today. So today, and for the last 19 years or so, I've been giving speeches professionally. Prior to that, I was in sales, 100% commission environment. My job was selling 20,000 to quarter million dollar gizmos to uh, neurosurgeons and general surgeons at hospitals. Deb, what I loved most about that job was giving presentations, giving trainings. And I didn't like some of the other aspects of that role, but if someone needed me to do a lecture or some kind of presentation at six o'clock in the morning to 45 operating room nurses, I was there, right? And I was having a blast with that. A friend of mine pointed out that, Chris, you could do that all the time if you wanted. And I didn't know you could make a living giving speeches, so I didn't believe him. <laughs> and it, it took a couple more nudges from friends and the universe or whatever to say, hey, Chris, you should totally be doing this. And so for the last 19, I suppose, I'm coming up on 20 years, I've been keynoting, opening or closing large conferences and national sales meetings for companies, and then transitioning into taking that skill set that I've acquired and teaching others to communicate and present effectively. Could you describe a little bit more about what exactly it is that you're doing today as you're helping leaders with those presentation and speaking skills? Sure. I'm sure you've seen this as well. I have noticed that there are different types of presenters, right? If we think of a keynote or a presentation for 100 people or even 500 people, there are some folks who are asked to give a presentation because they're least likely to die. <laughs> like, you know, so, and some people are so afraid of giving a talk that they're just like, ah, don't even ask me, uh, but you should ask what's his name because he, he didn't die last time he did it and it was okay. And those are the ones that you and I've seen them at conferences. Those are the ones where after the presentation, there's this polite, you know, it's a combination of, boy, am I ever glad it's over. And I think I should probably applaud now because it's time to applaud. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I have given enough opening keynotes and closing keynotes that clients have been coming up to me over the years. They're saying, Chris, the way you engaged with a thousand people, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Please teach us, teach us how to do that. So I started taking it apart. And part of it early on, to be honest, Deb, there was some, there were some unconscious competencies, right? But when you start studying presentation skills and communication, you realize that there are aspects of storytelling. There's a tone, voice inflection, body mechanics, stage mechanics, where you're standing. I help craft the messaging, but we also teach how to show up on a stage or on camera so that you are received well. It's not something people are born with. It can be taught. And I'd argue everybody can become a much more effective presenter if you're open to the incredible discomfort of getting on a stage. You can learn this if you're open to the incredible discomfort of getting on a stage. I want to dive into that a little bit. How are you innovating and how are you approaching the way that you help leaders to do just that? How am I innovating to help leaders um, push themselves outside of the comfort zone? Oh, gosh. Yeah, especially well, in an area yeah. that is, is probably one of the number one fears. Yep. 
Um, one of the things that I do is I get very real and I do this with audiences too. The largest audience to date in person was about 3,500 people. The largest audience, live audience to date on virtual, I think was 8,500, almost 9,000 people. Your brain does a thing when it knows there's a lot of eyeballs. Your brain chemistry changes and, and you get into this fight or flight thing. So one of the things to answer your question, one of the things that, that I do to help executives innovate is I, I get really real with them. And, and it might sound, I don't know if it sounds trite or not, but I'll show them a video of one of my keynotes and I'll pause and I'll say, he looks calm, doesn't he? On the surface, he looks calm and ready, but he's got vomit on a sweater already, probably mom's spaghetti. But like I, I say to them, you have no idea how panicked I am in that moment, but you've been doing this full time, like your whole business. You have a team of people to support you. You have an incorporated business and you're telling me you still get nervous going on the stage. And I'm like, yes, I do. So if you're waiting for those nerves to disappear, I got news for you, my friend. They don't. They don't disappear. I don't just waltz onto a stage and be like, I own this. I might look that way. I might appear confident. But one of the things that, that I do to answer your question is I help people to see that if you're waiting for that fear to go away, stop, stop waiting. You have to learn to dance with that as one of my mentors calls it. If you try to ignore the fear, it'll come back. If you try to push the fear away, it'll, it's still there. So embrace it and dance with it. You eventually calm down enough on the stage that you can be way more real. So when I'm working with executives, it's not just about what words are you going to be using and in what order, right? It's also what's going on in your brain. So we work on what I call the first nine steps, or we work on the first two, three minutes. I want your opener to be so tight. I want your opener to be so well crafted that a fire could erupt, right? There could be a riot going on behind you and you're just, you're dialed in and giving that three minutes of content. And by the time you get to the, th the three minute mark, your brain says, oh, we've actually survived like the hardest, the most um, cortisol, right? The, the, the neurotransmitters that are all the fight or flight thing. We've been able to get through that. Maybe we should calm down, right? And your brain just goes, maybe we're going to survive. I think this might be okay. Let's get deeper breathing. Let's maybe make the hands less sweaty and let's calm down a little bit. I think we've got this. So working with you to figure out how are we going to walk onto that stage? Where are we standing? What are we doing with our hands? Where are we going to look? We, I get you counting the number of seconds you're going to look here and then here and then over here. It's really into the details on owning that room for at least the first couple of minutes while you're in that crazy fight or flight panic. That's so interesting to me because a lot of the work that we do at Tomorrow Zone is helping teams to embrace innovation, whether it's adopting new technologies, process changes, and a lot of change involved. And there was a McKinsey study that revealed a majority of the barriers to innovation is actually fear. Fear holds mm. back a majority of innovations. And this is something that people are not actively addressing. And you said something that really caught my attention because there are all these things going on in our brains whenever we're facing a change or something that's uncomfortable or, or we're just downright afraid of. But what you're doing with people that's so innovative, and it's one of the things that we do in our practice as well, is optimize the start for success. Stepping back and getting ready for the start so that you can actually be successful in your case on stage, in our case, in a digital transformation initiative. It's a really interesting parallel to what we do, but we're in such different 
um, industries. When you mentioned the starting it off properly, one of the consistent pieces of feedback that I receive from clients after giving a, a, a keynote is, Chris, you just seem so calm up there. You just seem like a, you were just, you were a guy doing a thing, chatting with friends and you're the same person off stage as you are on stage. And that's not always the case for all of us. And it certainly wasn't the case for me early on in my speaking career, right? You and I'd be having a chat. We're buddies. We're, we're hanging out. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Also good to see you. Chris, we're going to get started in four, three, two. Hi, everybody. I'm a presentation Chris now, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here. We're so excited. We're going to get, okay, buddy, just take a breath. <laughs> You're going to tire yourself out. You're going to tire our whole audience out. Like we're, this is not hit like and subscribe like that just let's calm down right so what a lot of the work has to do with how can we tone you how can we train you uh, so that when you get up there you can be to use a phrase my grandmother would use cool as a cucumber you're freaking out inside but you appear ah oh, i think he's got this because when the audience is stressed on your behalf and you've done this before as an audience member i have right you sit in the audience realize oh that person is falling apart i feel so bad for them oh no now our anxiety increases that causes the increase of the presenter's anxiety it's a disaster whereas on the flip side when the audience can look at you as a presenter and say oh i think we're in good hands i can relax on their behalf now i as an audience member i don't need to be worried that chris is gonna fail miserably because he looks pretty calm he might be panicking inside but he's regulated his breathing. He did some stretching and some exercises beforehand before walking up on stage and then deliberately stepped where he was stepping. We get you working on where you're going to stand. What's the facial expression on your face when they're reading your introduction? You might think that's too granular, but it's not. When you have 1500 faces looking at you and they're reading your introduction, you have been taught you need to be humble because you've done a lot and you need to be humble. So now you're looking at the ground while they're reading your introduction. What you're communicating to the audience with your body language is, I don't want to be here. But that's not true. You want to be there. So we need to be deliberate with how we're going to show up even before the keynote starts, right? Even before your presentation for a thousand people or a boardroom of eight or nine people, your presentation starts, my friend, before it starts. It starts with the way you interact with them before you walk into the building. It starts with your emails and your you know, slides before it starts with your presentation begins well in advance of you opening your mouth. And once you know that you can become way better prepared, but it starts with, as you said, you know, being comfortable with that discomfort, because that's when you grow as the CEO of one of the Coca-Cola bottling companies. And I had a chance to meet him. I said, give me one piece of advice when I was 21. He said, give me one piece of advice that I can use at 21 that you found benefited you. And he said, Chris, every opportunity you get to push yourself beyond your comfort zone, do it, do it, because that is the only time we grow. So if you're looking for discomfort to disappear, that's backwards. Most of us spend all of our time and effort trying to be comfortable and we become uncomfortable. Oh, I better get back to, to, to comfort. And what Jared Jones was telling me is the opposite, man. Push yourself into that uncomfortable spot more frequently. You'll develop some muscle with it. You'll get stronger muscles. It won't be as daunting. But I can tell you after 20 years of giving keynotes, I still freak out before every talk. That's really fun that you shared that. People have asked me before, because I do a lot of speaking myself and like, how do you, how do you appear so calm? And how do you get over the butterflies? Do they go away? I'm like, no, I heard somebody say one time, you just got to get them flying in formation. Oh, I like that. <laughs> 
Yep. <laughs> you know, just get get comfortable with the discomfort. The other one that I heard that really encourages me is, oh, I'm feeling a little nervous. Well, that's my body getting me ready to do something awesome. I can't remember which report it was, but this is well documented in science now. They're looking at Olympic athletes, right? And they're trying to see what's going on brain chemistry wise and sports psychology. We have a couple of friends in the sports psych world that could probably corroborate this or even correct me on it. But my understanding is those athletes have taught themselves that tingling fear, panic, it actually means I'm excited to be here, right? And um, again, waiting for it to go away is a fool's errand. Instead, renaming it, relabeling it, and finding more and more opportunities to push yourself into places that cause that very feeling allows you to develop some muscle for it. Absolutely. I think in the world today, we're just surrounded by so much change and it feels like it's accelerating and we're constantly having to learn new things and you can face those things with fear or you could face it with curiosity. And I love the way that you're reframing this fear and nervousness. I just put in my notes, reframe the story around fear one of the things that we talk about a lot in the Tomorrow Zone team, we don't call it failing forward, we call it learning forward. We're leaning into the adoption of something new that we don't have mastered yet. That's uncomfortable. And we're going to learn forward as we go through it and come out of it. I've watched you do this so often, and I wanted to dive in a little bit on your continuous learning journey because mm. it's been so interesting you don't just talk about doing this and reframing the story around fear but you're actively doing this yourself I've watched you continuously transform what you do and how you show up so could you just share a bit about that like how have you continued to transform and change and grow and and stay in that growth zone what drives you to do that Oh, what drives me to do it? That, I would suggest, can be answered with, you don't have to like the guy, but the gentleman that brought McDonald's to us, right? Ray Kroc. He said, when you're green, you are growing. And when you're ripe, you rot. And this is plants. This is nature. This is all of it. I think it's not that quotation that drives me so much as realizing now there's so much science to back this up that for a lot of us, the joy is in the journey. And when you arrive at the thing, the number of people I've interviewed that have exited a company for a large liquidity event, they sold their company or whatever, the software as a service, it's in the doing of the thing that gives us the joy and the dopamine. And so if I take this green growing thing, I have learned something about myself. And that is that when I push myself to be better Chris in 2024 than I was in 2023. If I can be healthier in 2025 than I was in 2024. If I can be more effective at certain things in 2026 than I was in 2025. If I'm seeking to improve all the time, things just get better for me. <laughs> they just do. And so I, part of it is a thirst for knowledge. Like I, I get joy out of learning new things. I don't know why, is it a genetic thing or something, but I, some part of my wiring Chris gets a zap of joy when new ideas go in his head. So what you've seen me, I think both in business and some of the things you know I'm doing, 
I get great joy stretching my brain into areas that it's never been before and forcing it to learn a thing that is wildly foreign. One thing you may not know is I'm trying to learn how to say hello and thank you in as many languages as I can. So when I encounter someone who speaks more than one language, I don't say, where are you from? I say, do you speak more than one language? Oh, yes. May I ask, how many languages do you speak? Oh, cool. May I ask which ones? Oh, I speak X, Y, and Z language. Oh, okay. I'm trying to learn how to say hello and thank you in as many languages. How do I say hello in that language? But oftentimes I already know it. And so I'll blow their mind by using the word. And it's fun for me to learn one or two more words. So they say, how do you know this? I say, friends. How do you say friend? So then I learned that word. So that gives me joy. I would argue then, that to answer your question, what drives me is a thirst for knowledge. I love understanding how things work. And for whatever reason, when my brain gets bigger, it makes me feel good. <laughs> my kids and I love to watch a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day. If that doesn't sum it up, you know. I love that. Okay, so back to the language thing, just quickly, what are just a couple examples of languages that you've learned? Hello and thank you. So here's a fun story. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I noticed that there was an introductory Japanese course and I was like, I should totally learn some Japanese. But I had a full course load, right? You're paying for X number of courses and you're allowed to take X number of courses. Um, and I found through an acquaintance or a friend, oh, they're taking this Japanese course. I was like, that'd be amazing. I'm just going to go. <laughs> so, so I went to this Japanese course and there's 30 seats in the room. This was an undergrad course. I was in biology at the time. We've got 700 person lecture theaters, right? But this is a small little class, a 30 person class. There's only 15 people, maybe 22 people in the room at any given time. So there are empty seats. So your buddy, Chris Cummins, just kept showing up at this Japanese class and the person would be taking attendance. And every time she'd be like, who? I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But you're not on the... <laughs> so eventually I get a call from the dean's office and I have to go meet with Dean Westmacott. I remember his name because I go into his office. <laughs> the dean of social science. I think it was social science. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, the, the dean of the faculty has to sit down with little old me and be like, stop going to that class. <laughs> you're not registered. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, but you know, the, there's empty seat. He said, stop going to that class. It's full. And I said, respectfully, it's not. I go there each time and there are at least 10 empty seats. Right. And he says, look, I love you. I think it's great that you've got this. You can't go in. Just stop. You're making my life difficult. You have to stop going. Fast forward a whole bunch of years. I'm selling quarter million dollar gizmos to neurosurgeons. It's a cavitational ultrasonic surgical aspirator. It chisels calcified brain tumor and bounces off healthy brain tissue. It's this incredible cavitational device, and it could reach really deep into the cranium to save lives. And there was a Japanese fellow in the operating room watching this surgery that this renowned surgeon is performing. I said to the circulating nurse in charge, nurse, I said, who's that over there? I'm masked, right? I've got my mask. I never touched the sterile field. My hands were always behind my back and I had a laser beam to point at things. Here's the blue pedal. Here's the green pedal. I said, who's this guy? And they told me his name. I said, what's going on? He's a fellow visiting, but the guy doesn't speak a word of English. No one here speaks Japanese. So I just walked up to him and I said, hello. And he's like, oh, you know, hello. And I said, hajimemashite, watashi wa kurisu desu ga. And he goes, hajimashite, 
And I just said, hello, my name is Chris. What's your name? And he told me, hello, my name is Deb. And we both agreed, pleasure to meet you. Now, do I have a super deep understanding of Japanese? No. But that stuck. And boy, oh boy, does being able to learn a couple of words in another language ever help lubricate social situations. Absolutely. And also you're continuing to stretch your brain in new and exciting ways as you pursue that. That's a really great example of the benefit of continuous learning, stretching your comfort zone. I've been watching you follow your curiosity and experiment. I'd love to hear a little bit about your process for that and some examples of where you are following or have followed your curiosity and experimented and what has that done for you? One example of following curiosity and experimenting is uh, when you give keynote speeches for a living and then uh, a cough comes along and stops the business world for a while. If you think about it, my entire business model was predicated upon get on airplane, fly to convention center, go in room with 2000 people <laughs> sitting shoulder to shoulder. Like none of these were happening, right? I think it was right around when you and I met uh, over Zoom. I was showing up to Zoom meetings with a laptop with a crummy mic. I was asked by a friend if I could speak at his little Zoom thing for a couple of his buddies. And I said, oh, heck yeah, I just got a new laptop. It's going to be great. Deborah, I watched the recording of that video and it was embarrassing on every level. It was just, the audio was like, you couldn't hear it. Number two, I'm leaning way back because I thought I'd be casual, but I'm leaning way back. The camera was below me, so I looked like I was roughly 900 pounds. The lighting made it look like I was this close to dying because of the dark circles under my eyes, the fluorescent lights. I asked myself, okay, if I'm going to do a presentation on video, I need to show up a bit better. A phrase one of my mentors has used frequently is success leaves clues. There's a guy named Jim Rohn. I never actually got to mentor with him in person, but I would argue he's one of my mentors because I love studying him for my whole career. And success leaves clues. So let's figure out people who showed up well on camera. What did they do? What equipment did they have? And how did they go? I invested very heavily in the home studio. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight monitors at this desk. I have three laptops, broadcast quality things. I went down super deep rabbit holes to figure out what does 5,500 Kelvin lighting look like? Why do you do use that versus 3,500? What lenses should I get? So I went really deep on showing up well on video and then started showing up well at virtual conferences and then started being asked, can you please produce our virtual conference? Because no one out, no other keynoters have showed up to this degree looking like a TV show practically. And so then Cummins Media started a new division where we were producing large-scale live virtual events for clients. We did a graduation ceremony for, I don't remember, it was like 20,000 people or something. I didn't speak at it, but we produced it. We produced a large-scale investor relations, gosh, what was it called? Roadshow, investor roadshow on Zoom with a live virtual mine tour for a large gold mine. What? This is well beyond keynotes, right? This is Chris has his fun little keynote business, and now Cummins Media has this large-scale live virtual event production business. And now Chris sometimes speaks at them, sometimes I MC them, sometimes I'm backstage producing. Other times, and you've talked to some of my team members in the past, they'll say, Chris, just go sit over there and drink water. We got this. <laughs> Leave us alone. We're going to run it. That was a huge aha for me, was engaged in a huge client project where my team asked me to sit down. Like, we've got this. Don't worry about it. That was a pretty enormous switch from solopreneur guy 15 years ago 
to running a business now. So that's one, one example. Another example would be pushing myself outside of my comfort zone with learning how to fly a helicopter. It's been a lifelong dream to get in a helicopter and I've started earning my helicopter license and I stretch myself so far every single time you're up in the air. I can't even describe when you're using your left hand, your right hand, your right wrist, your left foot, your right foot. My instructor sometimes has to tell me to breathe. Like you forget to breathe. You're just, that's stretching. I sleep like a baby after those because I'm just so depleted and I know a whole bunch of new connections have been made. That's really refreshing. And it's, it's really inspiring. I remember when you told me you were starting to take helicopter lessons. I, I started looking into, well, what would it take to even just take a first step to get a pilot's license and, and started doing some looking around? Because like sometimes following your curiosity, it, it, you know, for you and your first example, it really opened new doors for business opportunities. But also it can reveal new possibilities or even steps that you didn't see as a possibility before, new avenues of learning. This is also exciting and I could go on for hours and hours digging into this because it's just like totally tomorrow's own, like getting into the experiments and following your curiosity. But I wanted to wrap this up with a question that I ask everyone. And it really is related to that commitment to continuing to be in the growth zone. What is one thing that leaders could do today to shape a better tomorrow? Hmm. What's one thing leaders can do today to shape a better tomorrow? One of them is try new things, right? Just go explore a thing. The reason I'm doing the helicopter license is because for giggles, I earned a drone pilot's license and thought if I can earn my drone pilot license, what's involved in getting a real pilot license. And so it was, if I can get there, then maybe I could go to here. Right? So I didn't start with one morning saying, let's fly helicopters. It started, it was, there were iterations and there were little steps. I would suggest a very effective uh, exercise for, for anyone is to write down two or three things that you are intellectually nervous or fearful of trying. And I say intellectually because if you're fearful of climbing to the top of a cliff and leaning over it, fine. There's physical fears. You should have those fears. But the intellectual ones, write down two or three things that you are nervous about trying or fearful that might not work. And then circle one of those and tomorrow take a step toward it. You don't have to accomplish that thing, but just take one step, right? I'd like to get a drone pilot's license. What if I don't, what if I fail it? What if I pass? What if I don't have the right thing? What if I do? But you don't know until you research the drone pilot requirements and then you type in your thing and you pay the small fee and then you take the test and maybe you fail it, maybe you don't, right? But you, you write down two or three things that you're really nervous about that you'd like to do one day, but you've been putting them off. And circle one of them to just take a baby step toward. And who knows what'll happen is once you finish that baby step, you're like, huh, wasn't that hard. I wonder if I could take another step toward it. And you take another step, maybe you stumble a bit. You take another step and then someone says, hey, looks like you're trying to go there. Do you want a hand? Wait, you've been there before? Yeah, success leaves clues. Come here, follow me. You know, and you don't even realize that there's this whole community of people who got their drone pilot's license and then went and did things. And then there's this entire helicopter pilot community that I didn't know existed. But as soon as you mention helicopter, people are like, oh, my buddy does. And then you're chatting with them. You get cool ideas. So I love that so much. And that's an easy action that we all can take to 
step back and consider future possibilities and make a more awesome tomorrow. Chris has been so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, uh, Deborah, thank you for having me. I just love what the Tomorrow Zone stands for. I love your let's make awesome happen. Every interaction I have with you, you just make awesome happen. Um, and I really appreciate the opportunity. It's an honor. Thank you so much. And we'll wrap with that.